Good morning, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. It's always, as I say, each time coming home, and it's wonderful to be received with such warm a welcome. I've noticed that there's more Johns in the church. Is that true? Like every lab I'm looking at, there's a John everywhere. <laughs> it must mean something. So, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Bernadette. I'm pastor at Capricorn Community Church, which is in the township of Freigrond. And um, we decided to look at what one of the biggest needs in our area was. So we do a lot, we try, as a church, we're trying to be light and we're trying to help people heal and restore from the traumas and the things that go on in the community. And uh, these are wonderful. This is a whole family, not a whole family, there's still a lot more. Um, lots of children and they were all wanting to come with this morning, but my, my car could only take so many. Um, but we decided to run an, an open up an addiction support group for those uh, families that are struggling with addiction. And we call our group Restore. And every Tuesday night we have a meeting. And at that meeting, we turn to God for help and we also learn about addiction and we encourage and support one another. And so each time we have an addiction support group, we um, introduce ourselves and our names and we say how long we've been on drugs and how long, how, by the grace of God, how long we've been um, uh, sober. So I'm going to ask the team to introduce themselves like they would at our support group. And um, after everyone speaks, won't you just give a clap? Because we clap every time as well. So over to you. Good morning, church. I'm Jolene. I've been on drugs for 20 years of my life. And through the grace of God, I'm three months and 20 days clean today. Good morning, church. My name is Tyrese. I'm here with my grandmother, my mother, and my aunt. So I've been on drugs for a year, and I've been and I've been on recovery. So I'm clean for a year and two months now. Tonica, um, I've been in tracks for 14 years, and for the grace of God, I'm 13 days clean. Good morning, church. I'm Amelia, the mom of this family, and thank God I'm here to support my family through the grace of God, and for Psalm 130, that is my hope, my faith that keeps me going. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So, um, all right. <laughs> We've said that addiction is any mind-altering or mood-altering substance. So we include caffeine and cigarettes in um, that list. Um, we work through the recovery steps. So we do it, you know, you have the AA meetings or the NA meetings, but we do it with Jesus. And we find that miracles, signs, and wonders are happening among us. It is unbelievable that we're having a whole family 
that are just, God is just working through their lives. And uh, why, why are we saying it's unbelievable? We should be excited because God does. He works through families and he brings hope to the hopeless and he does the healing. So the step we're working through this month, so we have, we work through the 12 steps and it's the 11th month, so we look at the 11th step. And the step says, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our relationship with God praying only for the knowledge of his will for this and for the power to carry it out. And so that is our focus for this month. That's just to let you know what we do on a Tuesday night and bless you. If you ever want to come and join us, uh, we sit with other people in the community who are looking for freedom in Christ. So we'll be back with more just now. Thank you. So today our topic is family feud, and we're looking at the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25. So um, we're going to learn today that God reveals that he works through families who believe, even if there's only one or two in the family who believe, that he works through them, even if they are the most dysfunctional family on the planet. And today's story is about Abraham's twin grandsons, Jacob and Esau. I mean, with such an excellent family bloodline, you would think that Jacob and Esau would have been the shining example of how brothers behave and how they respect one another and how children ought to treat their parents and how parents love their children and what true faith in God looks like. That's what we would expect, wouldn't we? Now, if you were Jacob and Esau, wouldn't you brag? Ah, my grandfather is Abraham. And everyone would say, wow, you're blessed to be related to such a great man of faith. You've got a good future. Don't we say that? You come from a great man. Now you've got a great future. You could also brag, you know, my father is Isaac, Abraham's miracle son, born when Abraham was 100 years old, and his mother, Sarah, was 90 years old. If you'll just go back one slide, please. Thank you. There she is. Can you imagine giving birth when you're 90 years old? And everyone would say, you're related to two great forefathers. You've got favor and grace upon your life. It's wonderful getting to know you. You know what? Because we want to be friends with people who have got a great future. Is that true? Yeah. But if you really got to know our dear Jacob and Esau, you'd probably think twice about being so excited about their example to us. Have you ever experienced sibling rivalry in your house? You know, the kids in the house fight and compete over everything. Did you ever throw your hands up and say, why can't you get along just like a normal family? Hmm? Do you ever keep having to be the referee in your home when the children play together, when the grandchildren play together? Do you have to be the referee? You know, the playing starts out so nicely and then the next moment, someone is crying, someone's being nasty, someone's being rude, someone's broken something, someone's blaming someone else. 
I took it and it actually continues into adulthood. You know, when we gather at Christmas time, we all reveal our true colors there. Or is it just my family? <laughs> the example of Jacob and Esau should teach us how we ought not to behave. And let's read an account of their birth, and we're going to call this part War in the Womb. So I'm reading using the NIV translation, Genesis 25, verse 19 to 34. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? You know, I carry twins and, you know, when you have two babies jostling and moving and trying to find space, it does make you feel a bit seasick. But she must have really been worried because their movements got her really upset and she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the other will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, and the name Esau means hairy. After this, his brother came out, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Just notice that Isaac and Rebekah had to wait 20 years. Isaac prayed. And 20 years later, she gave birth. And it's sort of like there's an echo, isn't it, of Abram and Sarah having to wait. So there's obviously a family thing going on there. They didn't fall pregnant easily. So the name Jacob is a Hebrew idiom or a saying for someone who's a trickster or someone who's a deceiver. To grab on someone's heel from behind is to say, hey, any second now, I'm going to take you over. Have you ever heard of these athletes? I'm running on his heel. I'm right there. I'm catching up to you. It's a very competitive person. And this is what Jacob's name meant. And let's really look at the prophecy that God gave to Rebecca about the twins. Now I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. God saw the two babies as representing two people groups. They would be the fathers of two nations. History shows us that the Israelites were led by Jacob, and the Edomites were led by Esau. One nation would be stronger, and one nation would be weaker. And the older one, Esau, would land up serving the younger one, Jacob, and the younger twin would be greater. I'm sure Rebecca would have struggled with this word. Do you agree? Because God is saying that her babies are going to be at war. 
already from the womb, that this moving and unsettling feeling was because they were at war. It must be horrible to face being the mother of children who would be rivals. How do you teach love and kindness and sharing when they're going to be competitors going their separate ways one day? It's really important to remember that God knew this. He foreknew the personality and character of Jacob and Esau. He knew them from the womb. If you read Psalm 139, it's a beautiful poem about how God knew us even from the womb. He knitted us together. I knew you before you were born. And he knew that Rebecca would be the mother of these fighting babies from the womb because he knew their future. And I just want to share a little bit about my own story. Um, God didn't give me a prophecy like this for my twins. Even though they are daughters and they're identical girls, I never imagined how different their life paths would be. Cara and Julia are now very different in their values very different in their ideas and desires for the future. I mean, I treated them as a unit. I'm the same person, raising them up with the same values, and yet they turned out different. What about your grandchildren? What about your children? Are they different to one another? Even after they were raised in the same house, their children turned out very differently. This is because they are different. They're individuals, and each person is unique. Each is their own person. Each have their own thoughts about life. Are you the same as your brother and sister, even though you were from the same home? Are you exactly the same? Do you have the same view of life? We're not always the same, but there are overlaps because we are family. But most of all, I've learned to appreciate that my children are their own person. And God has taught me to love each of them in their own way. So I love them, but I've had to learn. So I kind of had fun trying to choose what Jacob and Esau would look like <laughs> today. You know, there's, there's Esau, he's the red, hairy one. And um, there's uh, the Bible, it didn't exactly say it, but we can use the description. And there's Jacob looking sweet and kind of cool looking. Um, even though they're twins, they were very different. They didn't even look the same. And of course, having these kind of different people and guys at womb, uh, in the womb would just mean that there's double trouble, right? War in the womb and double trouble. That's our second point. So I'm going to continue reading from verse 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Jacob was like kind of a homeboy, a mommy's boy. He liked to hang around with mom. He liked to do the cooking, stay by the tents. Um, whereas Esau was an outdoor kind of guy, a man's man, hunting, you know, rough and ready. And, um, he you know, his dad loves meat. The boys are so different that this can be the cause of trouble. But what would have made matters worse is that their parents had favorites. Did you see what I read? Is there anyone here who knows what it's like to have a parent who loves or prefers one child over the other? I mean, does it cause trouble? 
Uh, or maybe the children perceive that you love the one more than the other, this jealousy that gets uh, in the house. So it causes fights. It causes competition. This is not fair. You know, we're jealous uh, and we're frustrated. And we, I mean, I was saying the other day, jokingly, you know, I have a bit of a lifelong scarring because I know my mother loved my younger siblings more and treated them with less hidings and so on. Um, as she mellowed, she obviously um, found it quite rough with my brother and I, my older one. So research actually shows, so if you don't know, this is act, they've done research on this, that when a child um, has favoritism um, between the family, um, it may cause anger and behavior problems, loneliness, increased levels of depression, you know how we all understand these things today, and a lack of self-esteem. Because if you feel your parents prefer someone else, then what does that say about you? And it really can make you feel bad about yourself. And I'm wondering, if Rebecca developed a soft spot for Jacob, why? Because God had given her the, same, the information about the boys and she wanted to back the winner. She knew that Jacob was going to be the one stronger and greater and so maybe she was going to back him. Isaac was thinking of his stomach, wasn't he? He liked game meat and that's why he preferred Esau. Isn't there a saying, a way to a man's heart is through his stomach? <laughs> Imagine growing up knowing that your mother or your father loved your sibling more than you. And whose love is more important? Is the mother's love more important? Is the father's love more important? Or can you say that it's both? Both are important. So this would have made things worse for Jacob and Esau. And the next part of the story is a classic example of sibling rivalry. We're going to look at the third part of the story now. War in the womb leads to double trouble, and now we have sibling rivalry. And I'm taking from verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why we said that Esau is the, was the head of the Edomites. Edomites means red. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank, and then he got up and left. And so Esau threw away his birthright for some red stew. And the key to understanding this text is in verse 34. So Esau despised his birthright. That's a key to understand. So what is a birthright? Well, it's a privilege to have the birthright. It basically represents the family legacy. And in this case, the legacy belongs to all that God had done and promised to his grandfather Abraham. That's a pretty big legacy, isn't it? Through a covenant that was made... His family was going to be blessed with land, with the nations, and the hope of a Messiah. The birthright is a really special honor given to the firstborn. Esau was the eldest by, I know I'm saying this tongue of cheek, but like by a few pushes. You know, he didn't stay, it was, you know, because the other one was on the heel. And no matter how hard Jacob tried to come out first, Esau was the eldest and he had the birthright. The birthright meant that the eldest son would get... Um, two-thirds of an inheritance. So let's just say there's 9,000 rand in the pot 
and the eldest son would get 6,000 and the youngest son would get 3,000. And Esau was the eldest would also have the responsibility of being the spiritual head of the family. So he wouldn't just be the head of the family, he would be the spiritual head of the family. But let's have a look at some of those blessings that God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 2 to 3. It says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What a wonderful legacy. Through this family, through this lineage, through the legacy of this family, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the family, we are going to have a blessing. And we can say that each son acted consistently with his own natural inclination. Esau didn't care about his birthright, his inheritance. He didn't value the God-fearing legacy of his father, Abraham and Isaac. He threw away this privilege and responsibility for a bowl of red stew. Just imagine giving your inheritance away for a bowl of curry, you know, go out to the curry shop and say, like, you left your money at home. The guy said, well, give me your inheritance for this. You know, you say, yeah, sure, I'm hungry. Esau wanted to live in the moment and not consider the future consequences of his actions. So now we've labeled Esau. He's really a wrong person, as a badly behaved person. What about Jacob? What's Jacob doing? Jacob was looking for an opportunity to deceive his brother. He was a heel grabber. He's trying to pass him. And he found the perfect time. He found the time to trick Esau when he was weak and vulnerable. And that was when he was tired and hungry. Those two are very important when it comes to our uh, ability to resist. The problem with Jacob was that he wanted to steal what was already his. God said, the entire family would be blessed through Abraham. Did you read that? The whole nations, all the nations would be blessed because of this family. And he wanted to have the one up on his brother and claim the rights of the older sibling. So I'm just saying that both of these twins are wrong. Both of them have a bad attitude. But before we get too arrogant in our judgment of the twins, well, perhaps my judgment, let's read what one author and theologian wrote. It was Dr. Barnhouse. He said, Multitudes of men spend more time shaving than on their souls. And multitudes of women give more minutes to their makeup than to the life of the eternal spirit. Men still sell their birthright for a bowl of stew. As Christians, we have this amazing birthright and inheritance as God's children. When we come to faith in Christ, we just inherit so much and our legacy is so great. And I'm taking, just pulling out of Ephesians 1, verse 13, 3 to 14. It shows the treasures of the riches that are ours through the birthright in Jesus Christ. And I hope you get really excited about this because each time I read it, I'm so grateful. We have every spiritual blessing. We have the blessing of being chosen in Jesus. We are adopted into God's family. We're real children, and we have complete acceptance by God in Jesus. We have redemption for our, from, from our slavery to sin. We have true and total forgiveness. 
We have the riches of God's grace, the revelation and the knowledge of the mystery of God's will, an internal inheritance, and the guarantee of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I just feel like that's just so praiseworthy, so grateful that God has taken my miserable life and he's blessed me with so much. Far too many of God's children neglect or betrayed away our birthright for some cheap entertainment for momentary pleasure or passing popularity. So what about you? Are you trading your blessings for a quick fix in any form? And whatever that looks like. So God knew that Esau was a problem. Um, he was a problem child before he was born. And the Bible teaches us that Esau became very disobedient. Uh, when he was older, he even married women from the other uh, creeds and races. He married Hittite women and Canaanite women, if you read Genesis 36. He became the head of the Edomites. Um, he was worshipping idols, of course, which is a huge offense to the father. Um, and we said that Edom means red. The Edomites were always at war with Israelites. So if you know a little bit about the history and going through the Edomites and the Israelite history, I'm just throwing out a few. In Numbers 20, Moses had taken the Israelites out of uh, Egypt and he asked them if they could pass through the land, um, the Edomite land, and they said, no ways, and they even attacked them. And 2 Chronicles 22, the Edomites attacked Israel but failed. Um, Isaiah 34 and Jeremiah 49 tells us how the Edomites helped King Nebuchadnezzar to attack Jerusalem, and the records show that the Edomites were extremely cruel and brutal. This is all from the legacy of Esau. They were really barbaric. And Obadiah, which is quite, when I read it, it was quite disturbing, uh, 1 and 10 uh, of chapter 1 says um, that Edomites didn't care that Israel had been destroyed and taken off by the enemy. They were watching and mocking and saying, let them go. So this tension ran all the way through the generations. Malachi 1.3, this is what the Lord has to say, but Esau I have hated, that word is actually rejected. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. In Romans 9.13, we see God commenting again, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I have um, hated. God chose Jacob over Esau. And Hebrews 12, 16 says, See that no one is sexually immoral um, or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest son. So this reputation was heard right throughout the whole Bible. So I want to conclude now, and we're going to hear a one or two testimonies just to give glory to God. So family feud between Jacob and Esau teaches us from the war in the womb to double trouble to sibling rivalry, but God still wins, God still has his way. So like Jacob and Esau, God knows everyone from the womb, and he sees our future and the choices that we're going to make. Every person is their own person and is unique. And God can change us through prayer and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be stuck in our ways. The question is, are we willing to surrender our attitude and our behaviors that cause us to sin? So Jolene, will you come and share a little testimony with us? Thank you.
Good morning, church. Again, I'm going to introduce myself again. I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, and I trust that you all are fine. I'm Jolene. I'm 41 years old. I'm a mother of seven beautiful children. I've been using drugs for 20 years. My drug of choice was crystal meth and mandrax. By the grace of God, I am three months clean and 20 days. During my addiction, I did a lot of bad things that I'm not proud of. I lied, I steal, I betrayed, I broke people's hearts. I caused pain in my mother's, I caused pain and tears in my mother's eyes. I forgot my morals and how I was raised. I just cared about myself. I enjoyed life because being I was a most wonderful feeling ever. Never did I know the consequences of drug addiction. I lost my family's trust. I lost my job. And when you have no money, you have no friends. My kids disrespected me because I wasn't a good role model for them. I got kicked out of my mom's house because of my addiction. My family rejected me. I chose to stay with my boyfriend, but things went crazy. We used together, and it was a toxic relationship. The devil took from me until I had nothing left. Sometimes I slept outside when I felt cold, I felt angry, I felt lonely. And there's many of us that's not so lucky to be alive today because of drugs. But if there's one thing that I learned is that prayer carries power. My mom prayed for me every single day. And I'm so grateful for getting another chance to change my life. My greatest inspiring was my sister, she's not here today, but she's two years clean. And my son over there is one year clean. If the Lord can do it for them, why can't he do it for me? I went back home. I started a recovery program at Loving Hope for three months. I graduated a month ago. At the moment, I'm doing a program at U-Turn. I still have a long path to go, but I'm progressing. Progressing. I've accepted the Lord as my personal savior, and he's doing an amazing thing in my life. I couldn't have done this without him. And my goal in recovery is to love myself so much that I don't ever need a substance again. And to walk the journey with God because I want my family to embrace my reality. Can you please keep me in, my, in your praise? And I want to say that for Jolene, the prophecies that were spoken over her life, even by educated people, to say it's too late for her, she's been too harmed, too hurt by the drugs. She will never recover. And this is truly a miracle. Really, it is. Double trouble. The trouble was with Jacob and Esau, but even with their parents who showed favoritism. Every family has got problems. Every single family has got problems. Even if it looks like we've got everything together, even God's chosen ones were full of messy drama. But God has chosen to work through the dysfunctional and hurt families. Just read Genesis. And can the Savior even come through this Abrahamic family? We lead through the family tree of the Messiah. We are shocked. Don't think that God doesn't know how to work his blessings in your life. 
and I want to ask Amelia just to do a short testimony of what it's been like for her as the mother of the house. I am Amelia. I have four kids of my own and 11 grandchildren. 16 grandchildren. Oh, sorry. 16 grandchildren. I raised 11. But I wasn't alone. It, no, it was challenges. It was hard. But I wasn't alone. I just want to encourage you guys, whoever has problems from children, addiction, alcohol, whatever it is, you're not alone. I have a pistol of 130 that keeps me going. I've been a mom, I've been a dad, I've been a granny, but God was with me all the time. Without him, I wouldn't done it. I have two great grandchildren as well now, and I only thank God for everything that's happening in my family. Um, th three of my daughters on Eddie. The Jolene is the eldest, Nikita two years clean, but Donika starting now. My grandson, we have our up and downs. We're not perfect, but we are trying and trying. I want to thank God. He kept me. He helped me with my family. And without him, I wouldn't be there. So guys, I just want to say to my brothers and sisters here, yeah, God is good, man. Without him, we will never survive in this world. Thank you. Thank you, Amelia. And on sibling rivalry, although we saw what the careless Esau and the sneaky Jacob did to one another, we must be careful not to throw away our spiritual inheritance and birthright as God's children for temporary pleasures. Therese, won't you share your testimony? Thank you. The first time I met Tyrese, he was on a scooter, wearing glasses and a big, uh, colorful hat. <laughs> Good morning once again, church. I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Jesus Christ. So, my name is Tyrese. I'm 23 years old. I was on drugs for about a year. So, as you heard my mother said, um, she's, the, time, the, the time she gave birth to me, she was on drugs already. So, therefore, my grandmother raised me. So, um, I must say that my grandmother is a strong lady, and it was only through the grace of God. So, at a young age, I started going, at a young age, I was used to Sunday school. I participated in youth, going to church. So, I came to a point where I could actually feel the spirit. But as time, as time passes, um, I reached high school. And eventually, I wanted to discover new things. I wanted to explore. So as we were living together with me and all my siblings together with my grandmother, so we were together, and it felt very crowded. So there wasn't that individual attention where my grandmother could give us all. But even though she loved us all with the same love through Jesus Christ, yes, but she couldn't give that individual attention. So my choices was... I decided to go look for that love outside without knowing, without knowing that I would, I would get, I would, I would, that darkness, that, that, that part would lead me to darkness. So, I was using drugs, I was, I was, I came to a point where I even broke into my own grandmother's house. And that was only because of my choices. So, I've been clean now for, for about a year. 
and it's through the grace of God. So because of my choices and my addiction, the, the connection and the relationship between my family was broken. There was jealousy, there was hatred. My family couldn't trust me anymore. I also started sleeping on the streets, etc. So through the grace of God, our family, we are back together as one. And, and he restored our life. And now we can praise him together, we can serve him together. And we can set an example to the younger kids that are growing up in our family. But then um, I have a scripture that I want to read. It's from Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Struggle with sin. So the struggle is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. I slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do good. For I want to do what is right, but I don't, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate, but if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, shows, this, shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin loving with, within me that does it. And I know that nothing good loves in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin loving in me that does it. Then I will carry on in chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. If through, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will love. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit. He who adopted you as, your own, as his own children now called to him, Abba, Father. For his Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Thank you. Well done, family. So what I'd like us to do, I just wanted to say that part of our recovery is really renewing of the mind as well. So our people in recovery, we always study the word together. And like Tyrese, he has a hunger for the word. And uh, he's definitely being transformed from glory to glory. So, um, yeah. we I didn't get to tell you everything about what's happening in our lives, but I think we'll have to be invited back for that. But I thought, let's spend a few moments. Um, we can turn our chairs um, let us pray for our family members that you know of that need a blessing. Pray for yourselves. Uh, we can just, yeah, there are people that are on our hearts. Um, I'm praying for my daughter as well. And um, we keep them in prayer. We keep holding them fun because this kind of testimony encourages me not to give up. It encourages me that God is at work. And what we see with our eyes, we must not hold on to. It's what we have believe in God who is a miracle-working God, who has the power to change lives, but he does things according to his will and um, his great love for us. So let's take a few moments to pray and to trust him 
for our family and even friends. Let's do that now.